You are listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jack Ward, and you're listening to the world's largest and longest-running showcase of modern audio drama, The Sonic Society. It's just me here, babysitting my sump pump at Shire North and enjoying the glorious snowfall of the last day or two. We're expecting a full-blown storm at the end of the week, and I couldn't be more thrilled, honestly. Well, uh, to be fair, I'm enjoying the quiet before next year. Next week, I hope David and I can talk about our plans, our hopes, and our dreams for Sonic Society Season 20. But for now, I thought I'd run over my list of who I'm grateful for this year. I'll start, of course, with David Alt, whose near 15-year-long friendship has been one of the most supportive I've ever had. David's been there supporting me through the worst of times and kept the Sonic Society's lights on while I was literally living in a single room somewhere. It was him and Bill Hallwig that kept checking in with me and kept encouraging me. And, and and you know truly who your friends are when they stick through the dark times as much as the light. I also want to thank Lothar Tuppen and Jeffrey Billard, who were there when we said our last goodbyes to Bill. And although I had heard their names before, I had never had the opportunity to know them personally. My life is richer and stronger and better and mutual wouldn't have existed at all without their early encouragement and buy-in. And they are both, of course, the voices of, well, one of Wednesday Wonders and the other of Tuesday Terrors. And they also, of course, have their own wonderful companies that make the most popular mutual feeds. John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free, who I've also had the good fortune to meet and hopefully soon meet again, and who I'm an utter fan and who is one of the most talented performers and producers in the business today. John has edited more of my shows, acted in so many of them, and has never said no to any of the productions, as I would never say no to any of his. Pete Lutz, who has taken the audio drama world by storm. Pete is a one-man dynamo operating Narada Radio Company and now Moonlight Audio Theater. (laughs) let alone he's a steadfast supporter who's always there to engage in new and exciting shows he's adapted or created originally. Anytime there's a new idea in my head, Pete is the first one to leap up in the air and he's the one of the busiest actors I know of. Scott Mosher, who through all the busy challenges of this year, has been the face of Saturday Story Circle and will be the editor and producer of my Wingman series and I'm so excited to get working on that with you, Scott, I can't tell you. Now that 90% of my own craziness is behind me, let's do it, let's get it done. Rich Froelich, who is our Thursday Thrillers host and erstwhile producer of Texas Radio Theater. Look, Rich, I know you're beyond the moon happy with your life right now, but heck, man, let's get back to making more audio drama. I miss your voice in the fray. 
Richard Summers, also known as Captain Radio, who has jumped right back in, has gotten three mutual live radio stations running, and is working behind the scenes for the grand unveiling of the Mutual Audio Network's website, coming to an internet near you before our new season in March. Yes, there, I, I said it, I said it. Clinton Elvert from the incredible comedy forecast who plays double duty at Friday Follies with John Bell providing the introductions. Clinton has been a real shot in the arm of creativity and professionalism and I'm thrilled to have gotten to know him. Tanya Malevich and Josh Price, of course, were both fantastic sources in our mutual family and longtime friends who've been so supportive and engaging in their work at Lightning Bolt Theatre of the Mind. I look forward to many more shows with both of them. Larry Groby of Project Audion, who is constantly supportive and one of the new great voices in our space, providing an opening to that fourth wave of audio drama where we see more on-air performances recorded through YouTube as much as through the audio realm. Thank you for including me as an actor in your shows and introducing me to so many cool people to work with. And yes, if I ever abandon notes, It'll never happen. But if I do, I'll accept your help for web support. Tom Conkle, who has been a fantastic conduit from the world of Hollywood to the star system that is audio drama. Tom, I am really going to be leaning on your skills as a triple threat of writer, performer, and producer in the upcoming year for some advice, my friend. I, I hope you have the time to give it. I know you are so busy yourself, and I can't wait to see your new movie. Austin Beach, who has been a good friend for many years, one of the best producers I know of, uh, and, and, and the creator of Broken Bard Productions. We will be working together in an upcoming new podcast or podcasts. We have so many plans. Thanks, buddy. I could go on and on. Brian Bacchicchio, uh, Edward Champion, Rachel Pulliam, so many friends and people who provided their support and shows into the Mutual Family. Oh, thank you so much, everyone. But. I have two final special thank yous to provide. One, for the good folks at Broken Sea Audio Productions, who we've recently been given the green light to replay their incredible golden age backlog of tales. Thursday Thrillers will be starting with Jake Sampson in February, and Wednesday Wonders is currently showcasing 2109 Black Sun Rising, all from Bill Hallwig and the team for future listeners. And last, definitely not least a huge thank you to feverwood from twitter now called x you may not have heard of her but we owe pretty much everything to feverwood's incredible diligence this is someone for years who has listened to every episode we put out on the mutual stream that's thousands of shows at least three shows a day and contacts me automatically if there's a problem with the feed or a misplaced edit or or if the show is improperly released feverwood is our number one assurance control person and i've been neglectful praising her before it's nothing to do with her but rather how integral her work is that it feels like we're all just one circuit working together to get the show out so thank you Thank you, thank you, Feverwood. And no, you are never a bother, and your keen insight is always, always appreciated. There are so many others I wish I could thank, but I just don't have the time, and I thank you all for your kind indulgence in this last of the year introduction. Maybe this is why I wanted to cut short the extra shows this week, but I thank you all, you listeners, as without you there, 
and all the people who provide these shows, Mutual wouldn't have been around for these last five years. So, this week, we have the second episode of The Chilling Tales of Yuletide with The Screaming Skull, starring... What? Who else? Of course, Pete Lutz. That man is everywhere. And it all begins right here on the Sonic Society. A brass band. That's very festive. The pleasure of small town life where you hear the seasonal sounds of nostalgia trickling into your yard. Perhaps. But for me, all it is is a reminder that I should be at home wrapping presents. Not on a cliff, in a town, in the middle of nowhere, interviewing a man about imaginary voices. Not imaginary voices, Shaughnessy. A screaming skull. The man claims that's what he hears night after night. And remind me why we're here again. Because the man claims his screaming skull is linked to a murder. A cold case, essentially. Can you think of anything better to investigate? I can name a few. Oh, come on. Christmas is a time for ghost stories, after all. Stories, yes. Not people who think they can hear a skull screaming in the night. Why does he even have the skull? Have you thought about the possibility that it's because he's the murderer? Well, that possibility just makes this all the more interesting, wouldn't you say? Welcome to the chilling tales of Yuletide, The Screaming Skull, a Fish in the Sea production, a winter tale of murder, guilt, and dangerous hauntings. Thank you for having us. We appreciate you taking the time. Especially this close to the holidays. I imagine you think I'm nervous or imaginative. The thought crossed my mind. But I'm not. The truth is, I don't even believe in ghosts. Not unless, of course, that thing is one. The skull? Yes. My advice to you both is never tell ugly stories about ingenious ways of killing people, for you never know if someone might be tired of their nearest and dearest. If you don't mind my saying, some oddly specific advice... Well, it all comes back to the skull, you see, and to her, Mrs. Pratt. If I hadn't told that story, she might still be alive. What story? About a murder. I told them, the Pratts, about it on a wet night in November, and... Hush. Do you hear it? Hear what, Mr. Braddock? The tide. Listen. (laughs) Gloomy, isn't it? Sometimes about this time... Ah! There it is. That was the scream. What my partner means is, is that it was a little bit quieter than we were led to. Then you implied. Well, it's at ease tonight, you see, and I think it enjoys the gloom of the season. But when it's annoyed, the scream is... But you won't hear it again tonight, I fancy, for it doesn't come more than once. Would you mind putting another stick on the fire? Me? Sure. And let me get you both a drink. That really isn't necessary. No, I insist. You need something to warm your bones on a night like this. I'll be right back. (laughs) 
Miller, you can't really be taking this man seriously. That scream was much more likely than the wind or the waves in a haunted skull. Alright, I'll admit it was a little anticlimax. But there is still a potential murder attached to the whole thing. Isn't that worth hearing him out? If it isn't as anticlimactic as a screaming skull. Even these murder stories could be pure fiction, Here Miller. we are. Not too strong. Just enough to warm you. <laughs> Mr. Braddock, we really should. Nonsense. Now, where was I? The story you told the Pratts. The one you said started it all. Ah, yes. It was a night much like this when I told it. Dinner was bad. It had all gone wrong. Mrs. Pratt was very unhappy about it, but it wasn't the end of the world. But Dr. Pratt, he was in a bad temper that night. My wife is trying to poison me, he said. She'll succeed one day. He was obviously hurt, so I had to make a joke of it. Said she was much too clever to get rid of her husband that way, which led me to tell the tale about the woman in Ireland who killed three husbands before anyone suspected foul play. I imagine the story was quite some time ago. Before modern advances in forensics, murder was a lot easier to get away with. In the absence of very obvious evidence or eyewitnesses, it could be very difficult to accuse anyone. Ah, but this one. She got herself a clever method, even by today's standards. What did she do? She drugged them and poured melted lead into their ears through a funnel while they were asleep. Was that the skull again? No, that's the wind whistling. Anyway, it was shortly after that night, after telling that story, that Mrs. Pratt died, suddenly in her sleep. It was this place they lived, you know. Did I tell you that? No, you didn't. Yes, this whole beautiful place was theirs. I imagine Luke, Dr. Pratt, must have been lonely here after she died. Well, not if he killed her, which I sense is what you're implying. But if he killed her, they would have found something. Talk screens would reveal drugs in her system, and the lead would cool. It would be present inside the skull at autopsy. Nothing more than sleeping pills would have been found in her system, I'm sure. And who looks for lead in the brain when there's no sign of foul play? But she was relatively young. She died suddenly. There would have to be an autopsy. Even with a general autopsy, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't miss something as small as that. I'm just saying that it's likely Mrs. Pratt did die of natural causes, and this is no more than coincidental timing. I told myself the same thing. But then... Then there was something else. Something odd. He had an old dog. A lovely old bulldog called Bumble that Mrs. Pratt was so fond of. But one day I came to visit, and Bumble wasn't about, so I casually supposed the old dog was dead. I killed him, Pratt told me. <gasps> he had a way of sitting in her chair and glaring at me, he said, and then he'd start howling. So he put sleeping pills in his food and then chloroformed him gradually. It's been quieter since then, he added, and I wondered what he meant by that. He killed the dog? Just because it was making noise? No, because it knew. And I believe with the dog around, it was screaming more. The skull? Yes. I can see you don't believe me, and I understand. I don't understand it all myself. None of us really understand everything, do we? But I will call it a phenomenon, the skull. 
There is something of a phenomenon going on there. But how does the school tie back to the story you told? Or Mrs. Pratt? Did you ever find proof Dr. Pratt killed his wife? No. She died a few days after that dinner. And when Luke called another doctor after, they both agreed it was some sort of heart failure. It's like that, you see, in little villages where everyone knows each other. There's more trust. Unless protocol. There was the ladle, of course. Ladle? A little iron ladle I found in the cupboard. It was new, but there was some lead in it that had melted and stuck to the bottom of the bowl. But that proves nothing. Doesn't it? Luke may have had a dozen reasons for melting a little lead. He was fond of sea fishing, and he may have cast a sinker for a night line. Perhaps it was a weight for the whole clock. But surely it was enough to warrant an investigation. The lad is too coincidental not to. But Luke's dead and gone now. He was buried beside his wife, and I should not care to stir up anything to hurt his memory. Then why talk to us at all? Why tell us this story? Because it must be told. And you're not from around here. Any stories you tell, any reports you make, will never reach this little village. And how did Luke Pratt die? He was found dead on the beach. There was a coroner's inquest because he had some marks on his throat. Marks? Yes, like teeth. The verdict was that he had come to his end by, quote, the hands or teeth of some person or animal unknown, end quote. Half the jury thought it might have been a big dog, but the bite hadn't broken the skin. He had an old cardboard hatbox with him when he was found. The lid had fallen off. He'd apparently been carrying a skull in the box. Doctors are fond of collecting such things. It had rolled out and lay near his head. This would be the screaming skull. Yes, though I didn't know when I first saw it. It's rather small, beautifully shaped, and very white with perfect teeth, but it had no lower jaw at all. It was in the house when I bought the place, on a shelf in a cupboard in the best bedroom. And after a time, something got into my head. What? I was thinking about Luke and his poor wife one evening when it occurred to me that the skull might possibly be hers. I haven't gotten rid of the thought since. But wasn't his wife buried? You said they were buried beside one another. She is, yes. And it's perfectly monstrous to suppose her husband kept a skull in an old hat box in the bedroom. All the same, I'm convinced that he did. So it's her skull screaming? Yes, and don't you see? If he had it, then he must have killed her. How do you come to that conclusion? Because he must have been afraid some examination of the skull one day would give him away. The same kind of examination you yourself suggested. I told him that too, you see. Told him what? That's how the woman in Ireland was caught. They dug up three skulls, and there was a small lump of lead rattling around in each one. Luke remembered that, I'm sure. If you're right, Mr. Braddock, then when do you think he took the skull? He took it the night before she was buried, I'm sure. After the coffin had been shut, I would bet anything that's when he got it. He put something in its place to fill up the space and look like it. What do you suppose he put under there, under the sheet? You mean, if he did actually remove the head? I don't wonder that you don't take me up on what I'm saying. One moment I don't want to know what happened, the next I'm describing it as though I were there. What do you think he put under there, Mr. Braddock? 
I'm sure it was her work bag. She always used it of an evening, and when it was stuffed full, it was about the size of... You understand? You're saying he filled it with her things? Her belongings in place of her head? You may laugh at me. I'm I'm not laughing. But you don't live here alone. Here, where it was done. And you didn't tell Luke the story about the melted lead. Then why not get rid of the skull? If it plagues you so much, why not hand it in? Or bury it? Oh, I've tried to get rid of the thing. Don't think I haven't. But it doesn't like it. It doesn't like it. No. It wants to be there. In the bedroom. In its place. How do you know? Have you tried moving it? Tried? Of course I've tried. As long as it's there, it only screams every now and then. But if I put it out of the house, it goes on all night. (sighs) The old woman says that if I stay here, I shall come to a bad end myself before long. Bad end? Old woman? In the village. You must have noticed how small a place this village is. Everyone knows everything about everyone. And no one will set foot in this blasted place. But surely you don't take village gossip seriously. Saying that you'll come to a bad end is just small town hysteria. Places like this thrive on the idea of unexplained drama. Oh, you're quite right. It's utterly blatant nonsense. That seems an odd conclusion for a man who claims he hears the skull of a murdered woman scream. Well, I may be all wrong about the skull, mightn't I? I like to think I am. It might be nothing but a pebble I can hear rattling around in there. And Luke might have got the skull itself from somewhere years ago. Some curiosity shop. Well, I guess they don't sell skulls on eBay. People have tried to sell souls, but it was considered a violation of the website's rules about not selling body parts. Mr. Braddock, have you ever tried to remove the object from inside the skull? To find out what it really is? No. I'm afraid it might be lead, don't you see? And if it is, I'd rather not, I'd rather not know for certain. I mean, if it really is lead, then I killed her as much as if I'd done the deed myself. Then throw the skull. You say it doesn't like being outside, but if you throw the bugbear in Please a pond Please don't door... call it names. It doesn't like... There, I told you so. Oh, you've both gone quite pale. It was louder than the last one, wasn't it? Do you think it's the ghost of Mrs. Pratt you hear screaming? <sighs> ghost? No! You don't call anything you can take in your hands a ghost. A ghost doesn't rattle if you shake it. It might if it had chains. Ghosts also don't knock on doors. They can't wait on doorsteps to be let in. I... I don't understand. You believe the skull was waiting on the doorstep? It was when I threw it out. When I tried to get rid of it. I threw it and its blasted hat box out the window as far as I could. The thing screamed in the air like a 12-inch gun. It fell out on the road. I tried to sleep despite the constant screams. But at dawn, there was a knock at the door. The front door? Yes. The very same one the pair of you entered through. I called out, asking who was there, but nobody answered. And when you opened the door, the screaming skull was there? Not quite. There was no one there at first. But then, as I opened the door a little wider, something rolled across the threshold and stopped at my feet. 
If it's not the skull, I'm gonna find the story even more pointless. It's unreasonable, improbable, even impossible, for I'm quite certain I'd thrown it across the road. Besides, it's where I found the hat box the next morning in the thicket hedge. And what happened after the skull rolled at your feet? Picked the thing up very carefully and put it on the table. Its eyes seemed to be looking at me as if to accuse me. It sounds mad, but I locked the door to make sure no one else would glimpse its accusations. I was badly frightened that night, as I'm sure you can understand. The thing had come home and it wanted to go back upstairs, back to its cupboard. I remember I spoke to it as I put it back, promising to retrieve its hat box in the morning. And where was it that you found the hat box? By the gate, near the high road. The box was open and it was hanging on the other side of the hedge. So it was open. The skull could have fallen out mid-throw. But the lid was beside it, don't you see? It means it can't possibly have opened until it reached the hedge. Therefore, what was inside it... The skull. ...must have reached the hedge with it. I moved downstairs the next day. I refuse to sleep on the second floor now. Is there a chance we might see the skull? You'd like to see it? Yeah, very much. Well, I've no objection. There's no reason why you shouldn't ever look at it. You'll never see a more perfect skull in your life. Perfect. Yes, so smooth and white, absolutely perfect. Except for the two front teeth missing on the lower jaw. Oh, I've not told you about the jaw, have I? No, you haven't. The gardener, Traherne, he's actually a sexton. I find they make the best gardeners. He's also the man who buried Mrs. Pratt. Well, anyway, he found it in the garden last spring while digging a pit for a new asparagus bed. You have to dig deep for an asparagus bed, you see. He'd got down about five feet when he cut into a mass of lime. It wouldn't be good for the asparagus, so he started breaking it up with a spade and right in one of the lumps. You won't believe what he found. The jaw. The jaw, exactly. He must have knocked out the two front teeth while he was breaking up the lime. Did he ever find them? No, and we did look. Maybe the teeth were already gone. It might have been the jaw of someone who lost their teeth when they were alive. No, no. Traherne is very good at his job, and he swears blind that's not the case. He says that it is a female jaw. Definitely. Probably. He couldn't possibly, without the rest of the skull, be certain that it was a female jawbone. There's too many other variables that at best it would be a probable female. And he's a sexton, not a forensic animal. What else did he say? Well, he brought the jaw to me and asked me if I wanted to keep it. Let me get this straight. He finds a human jawbone buried in your garden, and he asks if you wanted to keep it? It didn't occur to you to call the authorities? Why? Why? Because human jawbones shouldn't be in people's gardens. Buried there implies a murder or at least foul play. It needed to be investigated. You can't just keep human skulls you find buried in asparagus beds. Oh, no, there wasn't a need for any of that. As I said to Traherne at the time, doctors often put bones in quicklime. I just supposed that Dr. Pratt had a little lime pit in the garden for that purpose and had forgotten the jaw. What did he say? Maybe it fitted that skull that used to be in the cupboard upstairs. That's what he said. He also said... He also said there was some human hair sticking in the line. Human hair. And you still didn't go to the authorities? 
Well, no. Because the jaw did fit the skull upstairs, there's not the slightest doubt about the two belonging together. So if you're right and the skull is Mrs. Pratt's, then you're saying her husband put her skull in line to Whitey. Well, no wonder she's screaming. I know it's awful to think of. All the more so because it sort of shows a cold certainty that he'd never be found out. That is, if he did it. I always put in that condition, you see, for the sake of his memory, and a little bit for my own sake, too. So, are we going to see the skull? Oh, yes. I'll go upstairs and fetch it in a minute. There's no hurry. We've nowhere to be. Speak for yourself. The wind's getting up again. Do you hear it? Not really. A thing happened, you know, that made me start when I found the jaw fitted. And what was that? Well, just when I had set the jaw into place under the skull, the teeth closed sharply on my finger. It felt exactly as if it was biting my hand. It took me a moment before I realized I had been pressing the jaw and skull together with my other hand. So the thing that made you start was you pressing the teeth down on your hand yourself. Silly, I know. It was even broad daylight. But it just made me think of the funny verdict of the coroner's jury on Luke's death. By the hand or teeth of some person or animal unknown. Ever since that, I've wished I had seen those marks on his throat. You believe the bite marks were matched the skull? Perhaps. Though it didn't have the lower jaw then, of course. You know, if it could bite me, it would. The skull? Yes. <gasps> I know it hates me. Do you suppose what rattles around inside it is really a piece of lead? Well, I don't think we can say when we haven't even seen it. Of course, of course, I'll get it for you now. And if whatever it is happens to drop out into your hands, well then, that's your affair. If what drops out is lead, then it will be the affair of the authorities. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it's only a clot of earth, you know. And once we confirm it, it'll be a load off my mind, and I'll never think of the skull again. But I just can't bring myself to shake it out. The mere idea it might be lead makes me uncomfortable. See, it's just the idea, really. It's probably all in my head. Well, I certainly agree something is. <laughs> what she means is, we'd better go with you to get the skull. Why? Do you think I'm afraid of a hat box and a noise? Nonsense! Well, maybe just to be sure nothing will happen. It won't. I told you, it only screams once and then it's done for the night. Unless you insult it as you did before. But I'm not likely to go up there and call it names now, am I? No, it's fine. I'll, I'll go. I'm not nervous at all. That's absurd. Who's afraid of a noise after all? I'll be back. I'll go now. I won't be a moment. What do you think? What I think is that he's covering up a murder. He's not even sure it was a murder. Exactly. He's that determined to cover it up, he's near convinced himself it didn't even happen. But he can't actually look at the evidence that will prove it one way or the other. If he is hearing a scream at night, any psychologist would tell you it's the manifestation of his own guilt. I'll admit that it has been a little anticlimactic. Why are you curious to see the skull? 
Come on, don't you want to see this screaming skull and what it actually looks like? Maybe. Ah, there, see? We're having fun. But I am going to shake out what's inside it. Well, if it is lead, let's hope if you're right about your denial theory that it isn't so strong that he tries to kill us to maintain it. Why would you say that? Here's the box. I brought it down very carefully. So carefully, we didn't even hear you come back down. I thought these old houses were supposed to creak. Well, I had to be careful. Because if it was shaken, the jaw might get separated from it again, and I'm sure it wouldn't like that. Did you hear it scream again? No, we didn't. Well, it was quite quiet. But wherever it came from, it wasn't from the skull, as I had the box in my hand at the time. And it was too quiet to be so close. So the screams must definitely be produced by something else. No doubt it was some crevice in the wall, or, or the... Or in the chimney this whole time. That's how most ghost stories end, I suppose. In real life, anyway. To think I should have been convinced that the skull could cry out like a living thing. Well, since we've confirmed it can't scream, can we perhaps confirm what's rattling around inside it? Oh, yes. I'll open the box now. I put a seal on the string, you see, after I put the jaw in place. I see you also labelled it. A skull wants the property of the late Luke Pratt, M.D. I don't know why I wrote that. I suppose to explain how it had come to be in my possession, should anyone see it. I cannot help but wonder what sort of hat came in the hat box, you know. Strange that the very box should hold the head that wore the finery. Perhaps... No. We made up our minds, didn't we? There's no more a connection between that skull and poor Mrs. Pratt than there was between my story about the lead and... Oh my god! Good lord! I'll have the window fastened in a second. I say, what a gale! Mind the fire isn't blown to catch anything. That'll be all we need. Was the box blown off the table? It wasn't not too far, thankfully. There we go. Yes, put it back on the table, and we'll open it. Do you often get gales like that? Yes, but I've never known it blow open a window before. I mustn't have shut it properly. Gales like that? I'm surprised you could ever be certain you heard a scream at all. Practically screaming just now. Yes, I heard the scream just now too. That's not. It seemed to go all around the house. I suppose that proves it's been the wind the whole time, doesn't it? I'm glad you agree. I'm not. I came here for screaming skull and a murder, but now we have mistaken identity and wind. Forgive me if I'm a little disappointed. As long as you forgive my relief, I can't tell you how these sorts of ideas can play on a man's mind. I must have a more imaginative mind than I ever realized. But as we grow older, we continue to understand ourselves better, don't we? I suppose. Are you having that whiskey? I'll have a top-up if you're pouring. Well, no, I was just moving the glasses out of the way of... <sighs> Were you drinking... The Holstkamp. Neat. Thank you. <sighs> that wind seems to have chilled me to the bone. Here. Not for me. Oh. By George, that's good stuff. I'll just light myself a cigar and then we'll open the box. You know, I'm so glad we heard that last scream together with the skull here on the table between us. I mean, it can't possibly be in two places at once, and the noise most certainly came from outside, as wind must. Well, I thought the scream happened after the window burst open. Screams of wind are usually the build-up, not the finale. But it's natural enough to hear all sorts when the window is wide open. 
Of course we heard the wind. What else could we expect? Now, look here. I want you both to see that the seal is intact before we open the box together. Why? To assure you, and myself, I suppose, that the skull has not been moved. Therefore, our screaming has to be the wind and nothing more. I'm not sure why a seal is needed. Shall we put the string off then? Oh no, there's no use. It's fastened to the box. I'll just break the wax and untie the knot and afterwards we'll seal it up again. Why do you want to reseal it? I like to feel that the thing is in its place and that nobody can take it out. Not that I suspect Traherne of ever meddling with it, but I always feel he knows a lot more than he tells. What do you mean he knows that? I've managed it without breaking the string, you see. And the lid comes off easily enough. There, what do you think? It's empty. What? It's an empty half box. No, it can't be. No screaming skull, and now not even an ordinary one. No, it can't be. It can't be gone. It can't be empty. You saw the seal. It has to be in there. God, no. The skull is gone. It's gone. No, but perhaps... Where is he going now? Perhaps he believes he misplaced the skull. Misplaced it where? Another hat box? Surely a skull you think might possibly belong to a murdered friend is something you keep an eye on. What are you saying? That you agree that the skull might have a mind of its own? No, what I believe is that this man is crazier than I thought. And it's entirely possible he was more involved with the death of Mrs. Pratt than he wants to admit. Maybe he moved the skull himself and made himself forget. Forget? There are more than enough cases of the mind deliberately blocking out things it doesn't want to remember. Like hiding the skull in a different place than the wax-sealed hat box. Like hiding evidence and choosing to forget you know it was evidence in the first- It's just so strange. You didn't find the skull? I'm positively certain it was in the box when I put the seal on last spring. You seem oddly calm about this. What do you mean? What I think he means is that this is a skull you've claimed was screaming, that can move about on its own. But now it's gone missing, you seem... Eerily calm. I suppose I'm just trying to focus so I might retrace my steps. Even if the skull could wander about, the seal would have been broken, wouldn't it? And if it wasn't, I don't mind saying I don't like it, though. I don't like it one bit. There's something wrong about it, in my opinion. Wrong? Oh, I don't mean a supernatural manifestation, but someone must have tampered with the seal and stolen the skull. But who would do that? Traherne. It must be him. He must have done it while I was in the garden in the summer. But where would he find the opportunity? And why would he want to? It seems more likely that something strange... Oh no, don't talk to me about the possibility that the thing got out by itself. You claimed it could do as much yourself. Well, if it had gotten itself out, then it must be somewhere in the house, in some corner, waiting. (sighs) Just waiting in the dark. Then it will scream. It will scream at me in the dark. But it hates me, I tell you, it hates me. Is there anything left in the box at all? No clue to where it might be? Um... Oh, something fell out. It's near your feet. Where? Whose feet? Right there! For God's sake, get it quickly! What is it? It's lead. 
small piece of lead. Lead. I knew it. I knew it. I knew when I had it fall. I knew it couldn't be anything else. So it was lead after all, and Luke did it. So it was a murder. We have to contact the local authorities about this. Even if the murderer is now dead as well, it doesn't mean that we don't... I feel a bit shaken up, you know. Understandable. It's just... It's the certainty that the poor little woman came to her end in that way by my fault because I told the story. That's what's so dreadful. That and the fact he kept the skull until his death like some kind of trophy. Skull which is still missing. <laughs> yes, yes. Look at it. Look at what? The lead. The little lump of lead with no particular shape. Think of what a dead man. Doesn't it make you shiver? He gave her something to make her sleep, of course, but there must have been that one moment of awful agony. Think of having boiling lead poured into your brain. Think of it. It's no wonder a skull continues to scream after death. Don't start. Oh, there it is. Just outside. I know it's outside. It's in my head. It's in there. It's in. Ah. He's fainted. Yes. Is he alive? He has a pulse. Plus, he's clearly breathing. He's just fainted from. From hearing the skull scream. Oh, come on. That was the wind. A blood curdling wind. Even if it was a scream, I'd hesitate to call it blood curdling, Miller. What it was was loud. Aha! So you did hear it? I heard something. I didn't say it was a scream. But you did hear it. <sighs> Just help me get into his chair and we can try and wake him up. What should we wake him up with? A splash of water in his face? Hand me his whiskey. You're going to splash whiskey in his face? Just give me the glass. I'm going to see if the smell can bring him around. Thank you. Come on. Come on. Well, whiskey strong enough to resurrect the unconscious. Are you all right, Mr. Braddock? I'm afraid you fainted. Fainted? Oh, no, no. Oh, yes, yes. No, I didn't faint. I wish I had, though. Maybe then the screaming would have stopped sooner. You kept hearing the screaming? Well, the noise. We decided it was just a noise, didn't we? Some of us did. No, I mean it doesn't do anything else. It's just a noise. Whoever heard of being hurt by a noise, eh? But we must find it and put it back in its hat box and shut it up in the cupboard where it likes to be. Well, aside from the fact the skull and the lead now need to be examined as evidence in a murder, wouldn't burying the skull make more sense than returning it to a cupboard? Yes, what an idea. We'll bury it if it takes us all night. Oz? Six feet deep so it won't get out. And any screams will be too muffled to be of any concern. But it's evidence in a murder. And why should that matter to you? You're not police, are you? No. What we are is investigators. It doesn't matter. They're all dead. Don't you see? It doesn't matter. What matters is the skull making sure it's happy. Well, perhaps what would make it happy is outing the murderer. You sound like you're starting to believe. Come, we'll get a torch and go round the house. I know it's outside, but it can't be too far after such a loud scream as that. And it's not snowing anymore. 
Only blowing like old boots, as they used to say. Come on. You know, I don't know why I never considered burying it. Of course it doesn't want to be buried. It wants to go back in its hat box and be taken upstairs, poor thing. If it wants to be in the box, then how do you explain it supposedly getting out? Oh, I'm certain that it was Traherne. Probably tried to bury it in the graveyard nearby. Best of intentions, I'm sure. But now it's come home. Why would Treherne want to bury it? Perhaps he heard it scream and believed it was because it wasn't buried in consecrated ground. He's the sort to think that way. And how is he to know it screams because it hates me? Because it's my fault it had a little bit of lead in it. Mr. Braddock, you might have told the story, but you're not responsible for Dr. Pratt's actions. He chose to do what he did, and you can't feel guilt for simply telling a story. That's very nice of you to say, but... <sighs> I know that knock. It's come home. The skull? Yes, it's at the front door, waiting to be taken upstairs. Will you come with me, both of you, to take it in? I'll admit I don't much fancy going to the door alone. We wouldn't miss it for the world. Do you want me to get the hat box? Oh, yes. And you can pick it up when it rolls in. Why me? Well, I'll be holding the door open and... And I just don't think I could take handling the thing tonight. Finding that lead has put my nerves on edge. Got the box. Perfect. Oh, it's getting impatient. Come on, I'll open just enough with my foot against the bottom of the door. Now! Catch it! It's only the wind that's blowing across the floor. You got it? Why did you throw it in the box so roughly? It doesn't like that, you know. It bit me. Bit your hand? Nonsense. You just did what I did and pressed the jaws together with your other hand and pinched yourself. I wasn't pressing anything. There's blood on the skull. There's my blood on the skull. It's on the eye tooth. Must have been the tooth that used to take a piece out of you. That's not funny. Are you joking? It's strange that the jaw sticks so closely, isn't it? It shuts like a vice. Or like a bite. I'll wipe off the blood before we seal it up. It's not nice to look at. I'd argue the skull of a murdered woman isn't nice to look at no matter whose blood is on it. There. The blood's gone. Not off my hand. I'll just seal the box and we'll put it away upstairs where it wants to be. I'll also lock the cupboard this time too. Make certain Traherne can't get to it. But if Treherne took it, how'd you explain its return? Explain? I don't explain natural phenomena. But if you choose to think Traherne had hidden it somewhere in the bushes, and the gale blew it to the house against the door, and made it knock as if it wanted to be let in, you're not thinking the impossible, and I'm quite ready to agree with you. There. It's all sealed. You've seen me seal it, both of you. Very secure. Until, of course, it decides it wants to get out again. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, very good. Well, I'm going to take this back to the room upstairs. I suppose you can let yourselves out. It's been quite a lot this evening, and I don't think I can deal with talking very much more about all this for now. Yeah, of course. Thank you for your time. Here's our card if you want to discuss it some more. And we'll be in touch about the skull. Or rather, about the person it used to be. Before she was murdered. Hmm. What did you say you investigate? 
Who is it you work for again? Just keep the card. Well, what do you think? I don't know which sounds more crazy. The idea of a screaming skull possessed by the pain of a murdered woman or an elderly sexton who goes around stealing skulls and hiding them in bushes. They're both absurd. So what's your explanation? I don't have one. It was all too erratic to make any conclusion. One moment he's adamant it screamed and it hates him, the next he's convinced it's nothing but the wind and an interfering employee. Well, what about your hand? I... You said it bit you. You didn't say you caught yourself, you said it bit you. Yes, well, I... It drew blood. You're not going to try and say that you did this to yourself without even realising it. I don't buy it. That is a bite and a nasty one. Does... Does it look like it might get infected? After all, apparently the skull gets around. Could have been anywhere. I'm sure it'll be fine. Unless it decides to follow you home for another bite. Ha ha. Very funny. So what do you think? About the skull? Well... I think it's real. That is haunted by the agony of a woman who suffered a cruel death that had no justice. I mean, wouldn't you scream, especially if your murderer kept your head? Well, regardless of whether she's haunting the skull or not, the murder does have to be reported. But maybe after Christmas, eh? Look, Braddock was right about one thing. They're all dead now. Victim and murderer. I think we can wait until January to get a cold case open. If it even was a case. I don't think it was. Sounds like Dr. Pratt called his friend in to declare cause of death and cut through all the necessary red tape. <sighs> I can't believe this is how you made me spend my Christmas Eve Eve. Come on. Discovering an old murder. Doing your best to debunk supernatural legends. You know you love that stuff. Maybe. But what I'd love more is to go home and to finish wrapping presents and watch movies with a glass of mud wine. Sounds nice and traditional. Do you want to join me? There's no screaming skeletons, I'm afraid. Do I have to help with the rap? No, you're terrible at it. I suppose I could hang out for a couple of hours. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I didn't expect a Christmas Day morning phone call from you so early. Feeling festive? Well, I have my festive socks on, yeah, but that's not why I'm calling. Oh. Well, then why did you call? Did you see the news this morning? It's Christmas Day, Miller. There aren't any newspapers. No, online. An article. No. Why would I be checking newspapers online this morning? I'm not you. Ouch. It's about our friend, Mr. Braddock. What about him? Just a minute. I'll read it to you. Mysterious death of Captain Charles Braddock. He died? How? The man was found dead in his bed Tuesday night in his home, a quarter of a mile from the heart of the village. An examination was made at once by the local practitioner. Local practitioner? Like the one that claimed Mrs. Pratt died of natural causes? Let me finish reading. Uh, by the local practitioner which revealed the horrible fact that the deceased had been bitten in the throat by a human assailant with such amazing force as to crush the windpipe and cause death. He was bitten to death? Mm-hmm, yeah. Shortly after we left, it was Tuesday night. Apparently, the marks of the teeth of both jaws were so plainly visible on the skin that they could be counted. 
but the perpetrator indeed had evidently lost two lower middle incisors. That sound like anyone we know. You're saying the skull killed him? By biting him? Well, it bit you, didn't it? It drew blood. But why? Why would it kill him? Because he gave her husband the idea. Not on purpose. No, but he denied the possibility of a murder, avoided finding justice so he could avoid his own guilt. And that would be motive to kill? Well, as a skull, it's not exactly risking prison. Well, where's the skull now? That's the thing. I called the coroner. You called the coroner on Christmas Day? I bet he was delighted. He told me that there was no sign of a skull at the scene. No sign of a hatbox either. Nothing. It's gone. Well, where did they go? Who took it? Could be Treehorn if Braddock was right about him, or it's taken itself off somewhere. Even if that were possible, where on earth would it go? Who has it left to hate? The Chilling Tales of Yuletide, The Screaming Skull, adapted by Lana O'Kell. From the story by Francis Marion Crawford. Starring Pete Lutz as Captain Charles Braddock, Joshua Chadwick as Miller, and Lana O'Kell as Shaughnessy. If you would like to hear more chilling winter season tales, please listen to our 2021 episode, an anthology of three haunting stories for the longest nights. Thanks to everyone for our New Year's Eve show and for your kind indulgences to my long-winded intro. Please find all the notes for The Screaming Skull at the website. Send us your own thoughts about the Sonic Society either to sonicsociety at gmail.com or through Facebook or the Mutual Audio Network groups. I'm Jack Ward for David Alt and all of us here at the Society and the Mutual Audio Network have a safe and happy Eve and a wondrous New Year. See you all in 2024.
Cinema Production. <laughs>